Welcome back, Bible readers. This is the Rooted Podcast, and this week we're going to be uh, talking in the book of Hebrews. In fact, these next three weeks, we're going to be working through the book of Hebrews. And I apologize, my voice might sound a little low today. It's got a frog in it, I think. Hopefully, <laughs> maybe the frog will come out. Uh, maybe not today on camera, but um, it'll get loosened up here in a little while. But today we're going to be talking through... Um, Hebrews chapter 1 to, I think, 1 to 6, basically. I think your reading is divided up mm-hmm. a little bit through chapter 6, but we'll see how far we can get. Hebrews is um, uh, a fantastic book. I love the book of Hebrews, but it's also a book that can be kind of complicated yeah. um, at times. And so one of the things I like to, um, uh, when we talk about the book of Hebrews, to me, uh, the book of Hebrews is what I call the original purpose-driven life. And I know Rick Warren uh, popularized that title, uh, Purpose Driven Life, yeah. but I think the book of Hebrews is the original Purpose Driven Life because really our motivation and purpose for everything we do is Jesus. And That's Jesus right. is the theme and the subject and how he is so much better, so much more superior, so much more supreme than anything that right. this world has to offer. And if you just get that one theme as you read through the book of Hebrews, it is a tremendous help. And it, you see this constant, you know, that's that's how the argument is. It starts from chapter 1 and it goes all the way to the end. Christ is so much better. Why would you want to do anything else but serve him? Because he right. is so much better. And he yeah. systematically proves this point. Uh, the author of Hebrews, of which we don't know. Yeah. Um, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Um, there's a lot of people who probably assume it's Paul. Some people think Luke, think Luke's a more recent mm-hmm. um, uh a recent one that's been put forth. I have personally, I don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but I don't think it was Paul. That's my assessment for my uh, whatever that's worth. But I don't think it was Paul, but I don't know who it was. So it doesn't really help me either because, um, uh, but anyway, uh, knowing the author of the book should not discount us from studying the book, nor should it discount us from realizing how much is in here. There's a lot of doctrine here. Well, I think uh, the author actually <coughs> knew these people, and I believe these were probably Jewish, Jewish Christians, yeah. and uh, uh, it probably was not a very large group of people that he was talking to. But uh, but he knew them. He called them brothers and sisters. Yeah, and he said, uh, "Dearly beloved," and and, uh, and it's interesting. I think when we get to the end uh, in chapter, uh, the end of the, the book. Uh, right before he gives a benediction and everything, mm-hmm. he says, "Pray for him." But, you know, he he wanted to come to them again. You know, and it kind of yeah. sound like Paul, but you know, uh, I, whoever it was, he he knew them and he wanted yeah. to come back to them and be with them. Yeah, yeah there's only a, a handful of I think books written, like maybe Romans being one, that Paul wanted to visit but never got a chance to. Yeah. Uh, some of the other ones as well. Um, so the important thing. Uh, as Bill mentioned, is when you read it, you need to read it through also thinking that these are uh, Jewish Christians. These are these are believers in Christ that are kind of having a struggle with, what do I do with this Old Testament law that I've had with me? Right. Am I supposed to just get rid of it? What am I supposed to do with it? And there was some temptation, some uh, pressure in the communities that they were living in for them to revert, revert back to the old system. And that's why the author is arguing here and saying, listen, don't go back to the old system. 
because Christ is so much better. Yeah. Why would you want to go back into the old? So just like today, I guess we would say, you know, we live yeah. in a New Testament era. I would not want to go back to the Old Testament era. No. Not at all. Maybe to visit for a few days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, about we, it, right? Just you know, see how things were. <laughs> see how things were, meet some people, people, but not go back. No. Um, and, and that's what the author is saying. We're living in the New Testament. We have, as he starts in chapter 1, full revelation through the Son, through Jesus. Why would we ever want to go back? Why would we ever want to go back? And by the way, also understand that God, proper name God, he is the subject here in this book. I mean, his name shows up, and I think I looked up some information. Um, about one in every 70 verses you read, you'll find the name God. It shows up a lot, more than 70 different times. It's showing us that he is you know, the author. He is the one that's in control. Um, and so as you read through, you'll notice some different things. But one of the things it starts with, and I think is the most important section of all of Hebrews, there's a lot of good sections that are important in Hebrews. But yeah. I mean, chapter one, the first four verses uh, here are, are, are a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, sometimes I even get stuck on just verse number one, because verse number one of my translation says, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. In essence, he's saying God spoke to us in the Old Testament. Now he's speaking to us through the Son in the New Testament. New Testament. And so it shows you the value of the Old, and it connects it with the New, and it all connects it in the person of Jesus. And so that's a really awesome verse to start out the book of Hebrews in um, because it's showing you how everything's connected to Jesus. Yeah. Everything is. He's talking about the Old Covenant versus <clears throat> the New Covenant. And uh, and it's like Jesus said. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. And so the old covenant was fulfilled in Christ, who's now the new covenant. Yeah. So in that first couple of verses here, and, and as you, and again, there's a lot of information, a lot of doctrinal stuff in Hebrews, and we're not going to be ever able to cover or even scratch the surface of what's here. We can just kind of give you a uh, a bird's eye view and point out some things that we see that maybe you haven't noticed before. But the first couple of verses there shows you how you know we have this superior revelation. In Jesus Christ, His Son, we have everything we need. And if we want to get a picture of who God is, His character, His nature, we look, look at the Son. And after he does that, the rest of chapter two, kind of a little bit into, or the rest of chapter one, kind of a little bit into chapter two, he's starting to build his case. So the son is important. How important is the son? Well, the son is even more important or better than the angels, better than the supernatural beings. And so he kind of talks through there in chapter one how, if you remember uh, reading in the Old Testament when Moses uh, received the Ten Commandments, uh, there's... I can't remember that verse where that verse exactly talks about, but it talks about how the angels help mediate the covenant mm-hmm. with the old. Um, I think maybe they actually yeah. took the tablets and gave it to Moses or something. They were involved in that process on Mount Sinai. And so the author here is saying that, yeah, they're important. And yeah, they mediated the old covenant, but now you have Jesus who is so much better than the angels and has a yeah. better covenant to offer. I think Judaism, uh, in Judaism, they held that the uh, angels actually gave the law. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe that's where I'm thinking it's it's coming from. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, there's Psalm 17, and then there's uh, I think in Acts chapter seven. Yes, yes. Stephen's speech. Yeah, that would be another one. Right. uh, That shows up. But even at the end of chapter one, he says, you know, angels are really just ministering spirits. Uh, They're they're sent to help us. They're sent to be beneficial to us. And that's something just to sit back and chew on as well, just to think yeah. that, that God created those supernatural beings 
for our benefit. To help us. To help us, us. humans. You know, you'd think that we're to help them or we're to serve them, but no, they were created and it was all part of God's plan for them to be a help to us. Um, I guess because God knew it was going to be a struggle to be human. Well, he did experience it, didn't he? he? Yeah, (laughs) he did. As he took on flesh and became a man, a baby in Bethlehem. Um, Now, one of the things you'll find as you read through the book of Hebrews, um, uh, there's the flow kind of will stop a little bit. And uh, like in the beginning of chapter 2, they're what we call warning passages. And you find, was it four or five of them, I mm-hmm. think, through the book of Hebrews? I, I, I think there's five. There might be four. might be six. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but as you read through the text, there are these warning passages. And of course, and I say it might be four, five, or six, because some people like to divide them up yeah. into different sections and section them differently. But the warning passages are there to kind of... Um, remind us and kind of shake us as to what the author has just talked about. Because that warning passage is always what the author has just been talking about. Like the warning passage here in chapter 2, it's like, don't take your salvation for granted. Right. Don't right. don't let it drift by. Look at all that Jesus did and accomplished, and we take it for granted. He's, he says, don't do that. Don't let it drift away or drift by, or don't let your life drift by without you doing anything for Christ. So some of these warning passages you'll see they're placed into uh, sections after there's been some doctrinal discussion about Jesus, about certain things to do, and then he puts mm-hmm. a warning passage in and says, no, let me remind you, don't do this. So he's a really good communicator, I think, you know, the author here to the book of Hebrews, because he's telling you, you know, doctrine, what's good, what's not so good, good. And, and, and how to work on it, how to right. fix it, how to change it, and how to move on. Then he goes to the next point. Um, so it's really good as far as a, a book that uh, is helping you not just see, not just say, hey, you're doing this wrong, fix it. He says, this is why it's wrong, yeah. which is a big deal. Well, you know, I think it's, it's interesting to note that the author of Hebrews knew, knew the law. He knew the old covenant oh, well man. enough that he could really compare this and, and share this information and, uh, you know, you kind of ask yourself, well, who, who would you know in the Scripture that could have been that mm-hmm. educated in that? So, you know, whoever he was, he did know the law, and he knew exactly what the covenant was. He talked about that in the, in chapter 2 in the beginning, you know, with the message of the angels. You know, said, you know if that come with consequences, disobeying the covenant, or the old covenant, he says, right. then how are you going to neglect such a great salvation that we got through Christ, the yeah. new covenant? Yeah. How are we going to neglect that, you know? And we're going to escape if we neglect. Yeah, yeah and, and we we take it for granted a lot, Yeah, don't we? All the time, I think. Well, we do. I think more times we probably are willing to admit we take it for granted. And that's what the book is trying to show you. It's trying to show you, look at how important Jesus is. Look at what he did for you. You know, we talk about what Jesus did on the cross and his sacrifice, and we're not... Uh, discounting the importance of that at all. Yeah. We're just saying there's so much more. Absolutely. <laughs> in addition to the sacrifice, he had to become a man. Of course, in the second half of chapter 2, after the warning passage, he talks about how why Christ had to become a man. He had to become a man to be better than the angels because obviously he had to become a man so Christ could die as a man, so he could resurrect as a man, so he could come back one day as a man. And so you and I have hope. hope that we'll be resurrected as a man, men and women, just like Jesus was. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of ironic, he's saying Jesus had to stoop lower than the angels, but he did it because he was more superior than the angels, Mm -hmm. because he had to become a man so that he could die for humanity. 
And when yep. you look at that and you see the yeah. the uh, the birth of Christ yeah. is a big deal. How Jesus became human and He mm. took on flesh. We like to say we call it His uh, His incarnation. Incarnation is, yeah. is the term we hear around Christmas time. And for the fact that Jesus did that for us, knowing that He would never return back to a different state, that's always something that's boggled my mind. Yeah. He became a man, knowing that He'd be forever associated with us as humans. But that's what our God does, yeah. because He loves us so much. He wants to be associated with us, feel what we feel. Yeah. You know. Well, and you know, I think He He did that because He wanted us to actually put our faith and trust in Him. He said, yeah, you yeah. can't trust me. I've been through this. I've, I know where you're coming from. And uh, whenever we have issues and situations in our lives and we get down and, mm. and we start wondering, well, God, why did you do this? And why did you do that? Well, He's already experienced that. Uh, trust yeah. Him. Yeah, Just trust Him. It reminds me of that passage where you know, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. And we like to uh, focus in and say, well, He was has three temptations. But if you read the book of Luke, and I think Luke is one that points out, it says that he was tempted Tempted. like daily for 40 40 days. So yeah, those three temptations were the main ones or maybe the main categories from which all other temptations come from, maybe we could say. Um, But it says that he was constantly tempted for 40 days. It's not like he just went through three tests. Mm -hmm. You're kind of like, well, I can go through three tests, you know temptations. But no, he was constantly tempted for 40 days, and not just by any slouch, but by the devil himself, the master tempter, you might say. Well, not only that, but it says that once those temptations were done and he was ministered to by the angels and everything, Mm -hmm. it said Satan departed from him for a season. Yeah, for a season, exactly. He still, throughout throughout his existence on this earth, he he was tempted. Yeah, yeah. And he knows those angels ministered to him yeah. In his human form, just like angels minister to us yes. in our human form as well. Absolutely. Anyway, when we get to Christ as the great high priest, of course, that's in a little bit of chapter four. You know, mm-hmm. we kind of got ahead of ourselves. But um, in chapter three, the argument that the author puts forth is how Jesus is better than Aaron or the priesthood in general. I think that's kind of, I'm sorry, I'm getting too far. Moses. Moses. Moses is the big name in chapter 3, and it's right there in my notes if I can read them correctly. <laughs> but my mind's already going other place in the book of Hebrews. He's superior than Moses. And, and you know, Moses is a good example. I mean, Moses was, he had his struggles, but he's one that the Jewish people always look to as, you know, he's the father of the Jewish nation. Um, and Jesus is um, a model of faithfulness just like Moses was. Of course, Jesus is so much better uh, than, than what Moses was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like... There, there's one word here where it talks about Jesus, and, it, and it, the author actually says that Jesus, he calls him an apostle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting designation for how you would describe Jesus as an apostle. I'm trying to find that verse. Um, I know it's in verse chapter 3, yeah. maybe in verse 5. Um, yeah, I should have wrote it down. a faithful servant in God's household yeah. and a testimony to what? what would be said in the future, but Christ was a faithful uh, as a son of the household. Yeah, well, I'll probably uh, find it somewhere. I, I saw that too. And I, yeah, I thought that was interesting because you know how we talked a lot in the New Testament about how Jesus was always doing the Father's will, Yeah, always Father's will. And the apostles were uh, from Christ That's, sent with a mission to do, do the, his, will. Do his will. And so it makes sense 
that here's an, Jesus as an apostle, he's sent to do the Father's will. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he's doing. And of course, you know, in context here of Moses, you know, um, apostle, you know, Moses was actually, you know, an early, early, early apostle, I guess you might say. But like Jesus, like Moses, he was faithful to God despite everything that came against him. And you think of everything that came against Moses and how faithful he was. Yeah. You know, constantly the people berating him, whining, complaining. Um, many times, even God himself said, listen, Moses, I'm just going to start over. I'm just going to kill the people and start over with you. And Moses is yeah. like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Moses intercedes for the people. Yeah. Um, so every step of the way, it seems, in the life of Moses, after he got his affairs in order <laughs> in the wilderness, right. Yeah. right? In the wilderness, after he got his affairs in order, you know, it seemed like the whole world was against him. But he was faithful, just like Jesus. The whole world was against him. Yeah. And he was faithful, uh, but he was not just faithful in his house. He was faithful for everyone. Of course, Moses here. Well, we look at our lives today, and we find that uh, Christianity, you've got a lot of opposition to Christianity today, and uh, we need to stay faithful. Yeah. We need to be as Moses. We need to be as Christ. Yeah, don't yeah. be like the uh, the Israelites, Yeah, which is the danger, the warning it, that comes in the, in the second half here of chapter yeah. 3, chapter 3, verse 7. Yeah. I carry it all the way through chapter 4 yeah, to verse yeah, 13. Yeah. That's kind of like the larger warning passage. And the warning passage is the danger of unbelief. So remember, we're talking about Moses. So Moses in the wilderness, the people had the danger of unbelief. Remember that uh, defining moment at Kadesh Barnea where they came into the... They were at the edge of the land, and Joshua and Caleb had spied out the land. Or not Joshua and Caleb, but the 12. The 12. Joshua and Caleb brought back a good report, but the rest didn't want to believe. This is that we yeah. don't believe. We don't want to believe. And he says... The author's here saying, don't be like the Israelites and, and unbelieve about Jesus. Of course, he's talking about Jesus here, but he's using the example of Moses. Right. Just like the Israelites uh, acted in disbelief, don't be like them, because look what they lost. Mm-hmm. You know, They lost entrance early into the promised land. Now, they eventually get into the promised land. land. But they lost it early. Yeah, not not those. Uh, right, exactly. They're, they're, they, their descendants. They, yeah, their descendants because they died off. <laughs> and the second time they get into the promised land through Joshua, yeah. after they you know uh, do the job of of the conquest, they do experience rest mm-hmm. for a time for a generation. Yeah, and so they could have had that earlier. He's saying, right. but they didn't because they chose not to believe that God could do what He said He could do. They chose not to believe in his words. God says, I'm going to give you this land. He says, no, 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 God, you can't do this land. And it's like Jesus saying, look, I've provided sacrifice for you, for all the world. But yet some people reject that and say, no, I don't believe that. So there's a danger, he says, in not believing, believing. in unbelief. He says, so don't be like them. But I think in a more general sense, too, for us, you know, believers today, you know, we believe that God can do anything, but sometimes we don't act like it. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we don't enjoy that rest that God provides and by. It, and you know, the scripture here talks about his rest. Mm. He says, enter my rest. Yes. And uh, not ours. Not our rest. It's his rest. And, uh, you know, uh, don't be disobedient, but uh, don't harden your hearts and, and re- be in rebellion. But he said, uh, follow, follow this and, and receive it and enter into a rest. And uh, we see in chapter 4, he talks about that promised rest. And we see rest mentioned so much in mm-hmm. in these two chapters. Yeah. And uh, in this world, we don't have much rest as far as uh, rest 
in in life or rest in the situations of life. Mm. But you know, knowing Christ, we have Man, we have a peace, sure. we have a rest in yeah. Him, and knowing He's in control. Yeah. Even this past year, through all of this pandemic, all of these all the issues and the sickness, and the, we have a rest. We know we we belong to Him. I like to call it um, resting in in God's sovereignty. Sovereignty, right? Yeah. Resting in the fact that you just said sovereignty is just a fancy word for saying he's in control. control. So Absolutely. resting the fact that God's in control. And think about it. You know, God's got everything in control. It may not look like it on the outside. The world is chaotic. I get it. Mm-hmm. The world is not a restful place unless you go off into a mountain somewhere and to be alone. But even yeah. then, somebody may probably find you and bother you. Exactly. Regardless, of, I mean, Jesus <laughs> went out into the mountains. Remember how many times yeah. in, in the Gospels he yeah. goes out into the mountains and the disciples were like, where are you going? Yeah. Why are you going out there? They're all here. They want to mm-hmm. see you. Jesus is like, I need to get alone with, with my father. I need to have some quiet time, some prayer time. Yeah. But in the world we live in, rest, I think, because we think of rest as more um, a physical, emotional, mental thing, which is good because we need that for our, our our minds and our brains because they can't handle some of those right. things. But when we talk about resting in God's sovereignty, the fact that He's in control, if there's anything that you, if there's anybody that you want in control of all things, it's, it's him. him. And, you know, like, like Bill said just earlier, it's His rest. It's not our rest. Yeah. You know, it's his way. It's not our way. You know, we think that God should do things a certain way, but we're not him. We've well, got to let him do If it. we're in his rest, yeah. we receive a peace. Yeah. And uh, I think that's where a lot of people miss this is the mm. fact that they're not resting in Christ. Therefore, there's, they don't have that peace in their hearts and in their lives that they yeah. need to have. They're, they have that unrest. Mm, and, unrest. There and, you go. And so we need to uh, we need to trust him, follow him, and know that he he will give us rest and peace. Yeah, and it's not that we won't have times of discouragement or frustration, no. you know, worry, anxiety. It's all there. But when we take those things and we put them into the hands of Jesus and say, "I need some rest," He's got it. He's in control of all things. He's He's got our best interests at heart. And so I think daily, sometimes we need to practice. Say, look, the day. I want the day to go a certain way. It's probably not going to go this way, but I'm trusting in God's sovereignty, the fact that he knows exactly what I need that day. Because some people's version of rest is a whole lot different than other people's version of rest. Um, Some people might like to go jump out of an airplane for rest. Some people might want to go off into a mountaintop for rest. So again, it just depends upon it. But he's saying what he's saying in this chapter, in this this chapter 3 and into chapter 4, this uh, warning passage, saying don't repeat the same sins of the wilderness generation. Absolutely. You know, don't have this unbelief. You know, believe that God can do exactly what he says he can do, and he can lead you in that direction. Now, the end of chapter 4, and I think kind of really throughout all the way to chapter 10, it talks about Jesus as the high High priest priest. in general and all his high priestly functions, what a high priest does. You know, he mediates, he's got a better covenant, a better sanctuary, better all these things that we're going to talk about as we move forward. Uh, move further into the book of Hebrews for the next podcast. But verse 14 is a classic verse here in Hebrews chapter 4. My translation, I'm reading from the NLT, it says, So then we have a great high priest who Mm -hmm. has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe, or let us hold fast to what we believe. Mm -hmm. The high priest... This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he's faced all the same testings that we face, or we did, yet he did not sin. 
So it says there, or therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, and there we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. Going back to what we were talking about with the temptation, Jesus has faced all of that. We have a high priest who can say, I know exactly what you're feeling. I've been there. I know exactly what you're feeling. And how comforting is that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for you to be able to go in to prayer mm-hmm. and God to say, I know exactly how you feel. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes that's hard for us as ministers, and I, and I know you're in the hospitals a lot more than so probably I am. I was just and, thinking that. And yeah. for you to be able to go in, and maybe you've had the same situation that that person has had, and you can actually say, listen, I know exactly what you feel like. I've been there. I've been to that exact spot. Yeah. And the comfort that it probably gives that person. But you can't say that all the time. No. Well, I use this scripture a lot whenever I'm in the hospitals, you know, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace because he understands and he knows where we are yeah. and he knows what we're going through. And and in reality, I don't ever really tell Brother Jeremy people that I know just how you, I, I, I learned a long time ago, I can't tell anybody how they feel. <laughs> we are all unique individuals. Amen God has made us all unique yeah. people. And, and for me to say, I know exactly how you feel, Brother Jeremy, I don't. Yeah, I don't. We may go through the same experience, and yet we address them differently. Yep, exactly. Different, uh, depending different. on our spirituality, depending on where we are in our spiritual lives, that, that's how we address things. And mm. so I can't, I can't ever say that. But uh, makes it harder. But I do it? know <laughs> that we can come to the throne of grace boldly and Amen. receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Yeah, yeah. I guarantee. There's so many times you've been ministering to people where you've probably prayed that verse yourself, yep. saying, Lord, I don't know how to help right. this person, but you know how to help this person. Absolutely. And you can minister. And so it's kind of almost on their behalf you're praying for that, for yeah. that person. Yeah. So book of Hebrews, while it may be heavy in theology and heavy in doctrine, it's also so practical. It's practical. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's available. It's stuff you take from the top shelf and you apply. All doctrine should be relevant. There shouldn't be any doctrine that we can't reach and apply into a uh, into a, a practical everyday situation. Um, it makes sense because if we understand who Jesus is, then we live a certain way as a result yeah. of it. Um, so some people think it's really complicated, and it can be. In some, and I think sometimes people make it a little we, more complicated. We make it. We do. Humans do. Yeah. <laughs> we make it more complicated yeah. than it should. Um, but don't let that discourage you, because there's some great sections here. Uh, you know, that's a great passage in, in chapter four. You know, and as he gets into chapter five, it talks about how he's a better priest. And mm-hmm. you know, in chapter five, verse one, it says every high priest is chosen to represent God. Um, he presents their gifts. He's able to deal gently, and it talks about what a high priest is and and requirements for that priest, and then how Christ. In, in verse 5, he meets all those requirements. Mm-hmm. And it says that's why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could, would become high priest. He was chosen by God to be the high priest because God said, this is my son, and he's the one. He's the one. And um, so as you read through chapter 5, you get a little bit of that understanding about um, how Christ holds a better position, how he is a better priest um, than the old system. Again, because remember, the old system meant to be temporary, but Christ here meant to be eternal. And and there's certain things that your priest in the Old Testament would do that Jesus did, and he did so much better. Um, and I, I think what it's interesting what the author says in verse 11. He says, now there is much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, yeah. especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. <laughs> 
He's talking about the milk. And yeah, milk yeah. And, and in that context, he was talking about how um, God designated Jesus to be a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we'll talk about Melchizedek in the next... Um, chapter 7. Uh, yeah, right? in chapter 7, in, in the next podcast, a little bit about him and how he sometimes takes the limelight off of Jesus, which to me is a big deal. But at least that's what we force on the text. Um, anyway, but there's much more. He says, I want to teach you, but it, it seems like he says here, you're spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long that you ought to be teaching others. Mm-hmm. Instead, somehow you're still stuck on the basic things of the world. And so it says in chapter 6, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding, he says. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds, placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism, do you, he says, or laying on of hands, or the resurrection of the dead, what happens you know, in the future, or eternal judgments. And so God willing, we'll move forward for further understanding. So it's interesting because those are the things yeah. that he says are the basic foundations that you ought to know every believer ought to have a grasp yeah. on. And so maybe you might not have a grasp on those important things. And the author says, mm-hmm. start there first. I think he's probably looking at, uh, well, that's the milk. Uh, if you get that milk down, <laughs> then you'll grow into more maturity and get, leave those things behind and go on. As you need that foundation to build You need upon. that foundation, yeah. You need it. Just like when, when, a, yeah. when a company uh, introduces a new product, uh, it, you know, it, it starts out with a basic foundation. Then every year they come out with another uh, model of that product, yeah. and they further refine and further refine and further refine and make that product better. Yeah. And you know, it's just like building a construction or building a house. You've got to have the foundation. Yeah. You've got to have the concrete, the footers, before you build on top of it. But a lot of times people want to go for stuff that's in the attic or in the roof yeah. before they yeah. handle yeah. the stuff on the foundation. Um, and that's why he talks about um, the difficulty in that. Now, I will say the second half of chapter 6 um, is one of the most contested uh, warning passages in all the book of Hebrews. Um, and it talks about some people think that from this passage in Hebrews chapter 6 that a believer can lose their salvation. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't believe that, um, but they would say it's here and it's proven that they can lose their salvation. Now, we don't have time for that discussion. You might have questions about that. You can email us questions. We might be able to answer you uh, in, in a different way, um, but we don't have time to discuss that because that could, no. you know, that's like a whole week of podcasts going through all the different views and oh, yeah. explanations of stuff. But what I don't want you to miss is, is what the important thing course, in chapter 6 and towards the end of chapter 6, where it talks about Christ is our anchor and how he's trustworthy, and how everything that Christ has done for us is, is the foundation of our understanding of who he is. Mm-hmm. And it, verse 19, it says, this hope is strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's God's inner, inner sanctuary. sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest, of course. There's the guy again in the order of Melchizedek. But the, the imagery here of the anchor is such a big deal um, because Jesus, and he talks a little bit about the forerunner, because remember, Jesus' forerunner would have been John the Baptist, mm-hmm. and he went into the, you know, kind of uh, showed the ministry of Christ. But in uh, nautical terms, it's interesting what a forerunner is. A forerunner uh, during this time would take a dinghy out of the boat with the anchor in it and would take the anchor all the way into shore and anchor 
the anchor onto the shoreline so the big boat wouldn't go anywhere. And so the picture is of Jesus, who's the forerunner, who's anchoring our position in the heavens ahead of time for us. So it's this picture of this anchor. It's it's really, uh, there's a lot to be mined from the second half of that chapter in chapter 6 about uh, God's promise brings us hope and and that He has not uh, uh, ever broken any promise. He's Mm -hmm. always faithful always will be. When when His always promises are unchangeable, they never change. Um, and that's so, so important, especially for us, if we're putting our whole entire life into the person of Christ, into believing in Him, then we want to be dead sure, don't we? Yeah. Well, that, I mean, if we do that, how could we not be sure about our salvation? <laughs> that's the truth. I mean, yeah. why would we ever doubt? <laughs> why would we ever think that we could lose it? Yeah, in the first place. If we anchor in that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's one of the reasons I think some people have a struggle with that too, yeah. is because they're not into God's Word every day. They're not reading God's Word. They're not praying. Yeah. They're not in fellowship. They're not uh, with other believers. They're not coming to church. They're not doing the things that you ought to do as a Christian. Mm-hmm. So therefore, they're shaky. Their foundation is shaky yeah. um, because they haven't strengthened that foundation. Um, and, and to me, that's one of the reasons why. But anyway... Um, yeah. We don't have much time; just a few, min- a few minutes left. But as you read through this first, you know, chapters one through six of Hebrews, just understand this argument, and it carries on throughout the whole book of how Christ is so much That's better. Right. Why would you ever want to? And he just systematically builds this case: Christ is better. Uh, he has a better revelation. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the en- entirety of all the priesthood. Why would you Amen. want to do anything different? That one make you shout. It does. It <laughs> yeah. does. And what encouragement? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's encouragement. I mean, you look at you look at today, and mm-hmm. and and why would you go after the experts of the world when you've got the expert of all things of Jesus? I know we like to do that, don't we? Yeah. We like to check out what do the experts say about my problem first. <laughs> you know, while they might have some good advice, if they're a good expert, they'll push you yeah. back to the scriptures, right? Absolutely. Uh, that's exactly how it should be. Yeah. All right, well, that's all we've got time for this week. So uh, next week we'll cover chapter 7, I think, through about chapter 10. Um, So enjoy your reading for this week, and we'll see you guys next time.